Hey, we all pray with me? Father, what a joy it is to be able to gather together the first Sunday of a new year to sing uh, God of your praises. Lord, out of the overflow of a heart, the mouth speaks. And so, Lord, we know that you have changed and transformed our hearts and created in us God, a great joy and what fun it is to come and to gather together with the brothers and sisters in Christ and to celebrate who you are and what you've done. But God, I know also that there are some who come in this morning and Lord, they need something from you. God, there's a desperation for you. And so Lord, I pray that in this time and in this place, you'd be faithful to your word, faithful to show yourself to us as you are. God, and that that changes changes everything. So let us be mindful of you, God. Use this time to encourage our hearts if if that's what we need or to convict us of sin if that's what's necessary. But Lord, pray that you do the work that you desire to do in us and through us for this church, for this city, for this world as you've called us to love it as you have loved it. So Lord, pray that you'd be here this morning. In Christ's name, amen. What is good to be here with you. My name is Matt Blackwell. I'm one of the uh, pastors and elders here at the Austin Stone. And I also wanted to welcome in our other campuses. We have a couple other campuses around up in the St. John neighborhood and in West Austin and in South Austin that are joining us uh, today. And uh, so I really just wanted to say this first Sunday of the year, Happy New Year to you all. Hopefully it was a uh, great start to the year. Uh, We are, what, five days in to 2014. And uh, so we're off and running. We're, so that means we're, what, five days in to our New Year's resolutions. How are we doing? No, <laughs> not so good. All right. A little gut check time, four and a half days in. How many actually made New Year's resolutions or want to admit it? Four of you. Awesome. Well done, all four of you. Uh, and so here's a couple. I, I went online and I wanted to do you a favor. I figured most of you wouldn't have made them. And so I, I went and found some of the top Uh, New Year's resolutions for 2014 so that you can have, it's not too late to jump in uh, and you can uh, make a couple resolutions. Here's a couple for you. Uh, Number six on the list was to learn something new. That's pretty easy. I mean, you can do that this morning, right? So do that one and you're done. Uh, Number five, I like this one, fall in love. I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how you resolve to fall in love, like squeeze it in between like get organized and eat better and fall in love. If you have to make a resolution for that, Probably not going to happen for you this year. Um, number four, eat healthier. Uh, number three, enjoy life more fully. We can get on board with that. Number two, spend less, save more. Number one, it seems like it's number one every single year, uh, lose weight. And uh, so that is the number one for 2014. And so this wasn't this year, but uh, a little over a year ago, I had some neighbors come up to me and said, hey, uh, a couple of the guys in the neighborhood, we're going to be doing a weight loss challenge and we want to invite you to be a part of it. And my first response was like, I'm not sure if I should be offended by that or not, but okay, I guess, guess I'm all in. And so uh, one of the guys went and bought a giant uh, tractor uh, tire, and, uh, and he had that, and then he got some kettlebells, and he made a big step thing. And so we were out in the front yard pushing the tire up and down the street and going up and down with the kettlebells, and literally the kids in the neighborhood would come and sit on the curb and watch the weirdos uh, do the thing. We're doing sit-ups in the front yard, and we did that once. Um, and we were sore for like four days and said, okay, maybe, maybe we need to calm it down a little bit. But we, we did all right. We worked out for about six weeks and then life happens and other things kind of crowded in and we sort of faded out of that. But we were with it for about a month and a half. And, and I know I'm not alone in this. Uh, I know that I'm not alone in fading out of that resolution because 
According to Forbes, uh, 92% of us who make New Year's resolutions will not complete them. 92% of us will promise to ourselves that this year is going to be different. That this year we're going to stick to it, that we're going to quit that bad habit, that we're going to start a new good habit, and 92% of us fail at that. Most of us fail before we get out of January. And so I wonder if that's part of the reason why I asked how many of of you made New Year's resolutions and four of you raised your hands because the rest of us have made resolutions year after year after year only to fail and we don't want to go through that torment anymore. And so we just say, "Uh, I don't know if change is actually possible for me. And so maybe I just won't go through the guilt and shame of making another promise to myself that's going to be based on my own ability to keep and so I just won't, won't go there, won't go do that to myself anymore. And if we go through that cycle long enough, here's my fear for us, is that we begin to believe that change can never really happen. We're sort of maybe just a variance of who we are, and that's who we'll be for until the day we die. But there's good news for us this morning, as we're going to open God's word, and what we're going to find is that there is true and lasting change that is available for us. And it's true and lasting change that's not based on our determination or or ability to keep a a promise to ourselves. It's going to be true and lasting change that's based on an eternal promise of God and his determination to keep his promise to his people. So that's where we're going to be this morning. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it to Psalm 19. We're going to be in a portion of Psalm 19 and it will be on the screen for us as well. Psalm 19, starting verse 7. Let's go. So the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. And keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is a psalm of David. David is writing this psalm, and what he's doing is he's saying, look, there is true and lasting change that is available. Because of this, when God speaks, things change. When God's word goes out, things happen. It's like this, if you turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, God speaks and nothing becomes everything. God speaks and darkness becomes light. God speaks and he takes a handful of dust and that dirt becomes humanity. See, God speaks and at his word things change. And what we see here in Psalm 19 is when God speaks, things begin to happen. And so change is available to us. And so he writes this in his word. And he talks about the the word of God as the law and the testimony and the precepts and the commands. And he's using all of these synonyms for God's word. And so when we think about that at the dawn of this new year, I wonder how many of us, I bet there's some of us here today that would say, you know, when we think about the Bible, we kind of think, you know, maybe it's a little outdated or irrelevant, and so we don't spend a lot of time there. There's probably a group of people that would say that. But I think most of us in here would say, no, no, we we respect the Bible. We honor the Bible. The average American home has four Bibles in it. So we are a people in 
the states that's in the south that we, we revere it, we respect it, we just don't often read it. And even fewer of us, when we do read it, very, even fewer of us actually apply it and live it out. And so my hope for us is that we would begin to see that this year could be marked with true and lasting change that comes from being in God's word because when God speaks, things begin to change. Uh, we've seen stories of that. I'm sure you could tell stories of how God's word has changed you. Uh, I, I was reading a couple biographies and one, uh, a couple that, that struck my, uh, struck a chord with me. I don't know if you've heard of Jonathan Edwards, but Jonathan Edwards is uh, well known as probably the, the greatest theologian that America has ever produced. He's written countless sermons and countless books. And Jonathan Edwards one day, before he was a believer, was in his father's library at his house and he was trying to waste some time, had a couple hours to kill. And so he goes over to the bookshelf and he pulls off a leather-bound book and begins to thumb through it and turns out to be a Bible. And by God's grace, Jonathan Edwards opens up to 1 Timothy 1.17 and he reads this. It says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so God uses that particular verse to change Jonathan Edwards' life. Because at that moment, Jonathan Edwards said, if there is truly a great monarch, a great sovereign king over all the universe, then surely I am in disobedience to that king and something needs to change. And it started him on a journey of understanding who God was. Another story of God's word transforming somebody, a guy by the name of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was one of the greatest, most famous preachers in America and in England. Uh, he grew up religious, and it says in his journal that, uh, that he would spend two days a week or two times a week fasting for 36 hours at a time. And in his journal, as a young man, he said that he almost killed himself by not eating in order to gain God's affections, but was absolutely miserable in his religion. He could never find a way to prove himself to God until one day he came upon the words of Jesus in John chapter 3 and it says this. It says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And God used that, God's spirit used that one phrase to start George Whitfield on a journey to say, wait, so I don't have to earn God's affection. I have to be born again. How am I born again? I'm born again by faith in Jesus and George Whitfield has said that he went on to preach John chapter 3 over a thousand times to groups as large as 20,000 people. God changed his life with the word. My dad's life was changed uh, by a simple phrase in John chapter 8 when Jesus is talking to a group of people. My dad uh, was reading the Bible one day and I had lots of conversations with my dad about different things, about faith. And uh, he was reading John chapter 8 and asked me about it. He says, okay, so what's the deal with this? Jesus is talking to these people and it says this. It says, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And he said, I think that there might be an error in my Bible and there might be a mistake here. So he went and grabbed another Bible and it was said the same thing. He says, okay, what's the deal? Jesus isn't even using good English. I'm like, well, it wasn't written in English, but he's not using good Greek or Aramaic, right? He's like, it should say before Abraham was, I was. No, but it says, I am. So what's the deal? And it sent my father on a journey back to Exodus. And all the way back in Exodus, remember when Moses is about to take the people out, he goes to God and says, God, who do I say sent me? And God says to Moses, tell them that my name is I am. That I've always been, that I am currently now, and I will always be. That's who is sending you. And so what's happening is Jesus is taking that phrase and he is applying it to himself and saying, he is God eternal. He has always been, he is, and he will forever be. And that, that one phrase changed my dad's life. See, when God speaks, things change. 
That God's word changes us as we come up underneath it. And so what we saw in Psalm 19 was this, is that David tells us this, that, that the word of God changes us because of two things. One, because of what the Bible is, and two, because of what the Bible does. So the Bible changes us because of what it is and because of what it does. We notice this, that he talks about at least six things about what the Bible is. We're just going to walk through those really quickly. David says this, he says, The word of God is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. That the word of God is perfect. That when a perfect God speaks, the words that that perfect God speaks are perfect. They're without flaw. There's no manipulation or half-truth in them. They are completely perfect in what they say. We, on the other hand, are imperfect. And so when we put ourselves in, in position to read a perfect law, it shows us our own imperfections. It's like a mirror to our souls. The Word of God is perfect. The Word of God is sure. The Word of God does not change. We don't change it. It changes us. We come up underneath it. The Word of God is right. Uh, the word for right... In this, uh, in this text was the word used of a straight edge. And a straight edge is used to, to measure the straightness of particular lines. And so essentially what David is saying is he's saying your, your word is a straight edge by which we measure the straightness of all other things. And so if this, if this is the standard, this is the, the way that we judge what is right and true, the word of God is right. So that's what the word of God is, but what does the word of God do? There's a lot of things. We just want to look at three things this, this, uh, today and, and try to figure out what the Word of God does in us. Uh, it says here, the Word of God does a couple of things. Number one, it revives the soul. Number two, it makes wise the simple. And number three, it rejoices the heart. It revives the soul, makes wise the simple, and rejoices the heart. That's the change that we're asking God for as we get into His Word. So let's go into verse 7. The law, of the, word, the, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. See, the, the Bible isn't just sort of a book of morality. It's not just a book of some religious stories that are kind of hodgepodged together. The, the Bible is the place where we get life from because it is God's perfect and sure and right word spoken to a dead people. And it brings us to life by God's spirit. So God uses his word to bring us to life, You say, wow, okay, what, what does that look like? Deuteronomy 32, Moses, again, he's talking to the people of Israel, and he's giving them the commands of Scripture. And here's what he says. He says, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. Watch this. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. The, the words in the book are not idle words for us. They are life. So the word of God revives the soul. It brings us to life. We find all through the scriptures God talking about this. It says our physical life is born when God speaks. Psalm 33 says, by his word we are created. Hebrews 1 says he upholds uh, the universe by the word of his power. Spiritually we are reborn when God speaks. James 1.18, by his own will he brought us forth by the word of his truth. 1 Peter you have been born anew though the living, through the living and abiding word of God. So God speaks and we are brought to life. There's new life that comes when God speaks. And you say, yeah, but what does that look like? Well, the word tells us this. It says that you and I, apart from God, are dead in our transgressions and in our sins. 
that we are dead in our sins. We are separated eternally from God. And it is God who comes and speaks to us and speaks life back into us. See, we we weren't sort of just, we're pretty moral folks and we just needed God to kind of push us over the edge. We, we We aren't pretty good folks and we just need to be more committed to reading the Bible then God will accept us. No, the Bible says that we were dead. What dead people need is new life. We, we weren't just a little bit sick in need of medicine. We were dead and we were in need of resuscitation. We needed God to breathe life into our lifeless lungs. So it is God's initiation and it is his word that brings us back to life. It is the word of God that is perfect, that revives our souls. And so when God speaks, we come to life. Not only that, the second part of that verse says it like this. It says, not only are we revived when we read God's word, but it makes wise the simple. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And so we see this, there is wisdom to be found in God's word. Uh, I want you to try this little exercise with me. I want you to do this, put on your, uh, your thinking cap and rewind back to maybe 10 years ago. I want you to think about who you were 10 years ago, maybe New Year's Eve 2004. Woohoo! you're going crazy. What were you doing? Where were you living? Who were you hanging out with? What was life like in 2004? Uh, Were were you uh, a student? Were you married? Were you single? Did you have kids? No kids? What were you doing? And so I want you to think about 2004 and begin to think about what what were your relationships like? Uh, How how wise were you in in the way that you spent your money and the way that you lived around other people and what you did and and the future that you thought you were going to have? How wise were you in that? And I'm guessing... I don't want to presume upon you, but I'm guessing that you would probably look back on your 10-year-ago self and go, you know what, I made some foolish decisions along the way. I'm probably more wise today than I was back then, 2004. Uh, But that stands to reason that if we were to fast forward 10 years, and in 2024, look back on 2014, the self of you today is a fool to your 10-year-from-now self. And so how do we not be a fool how do we not act silly and foolish? See, because there are, there are college students here today, and you're acting foolish. The way that you are living your life, the way that you are spending your time, you're wasting your life. The way that you're spending your relationships and treating people as your own property, the way that you are, uh, are making it all about you, man, you are wasting it. And you say, I don't want to do that. How do I change that? You change that by God's word. That God's spirit uses God's word to change you. There's there's young husbands in here today that if we were to, to walk into your house, we would say, man, you are a fool. You're treating this woman and you're speaking to her and the way that you're yelling and speaking, you are killing her with your words and you are you are crushing her with your selfishness. What are you doing? You are such a fool. And we were to grab you and you say, I don't want to do that. I want to love her. I want to lead her. I want to lead my family, but I don't even know where to go. I don't know how to get out of my own way. I don't know what to do. And we say, you want to change God's word. It changes you. The spirit of God uses the word of God to change you. You know, Shannon and I, we have three boys. They're nine and seven and four. And I probably pray weekly for wisdom. I say, God, I don't know what to do. See, every, every new semester, it's the first time we've done this before with our oldest. We've, first time we've been to school, first time we've been uh, to, to this new adventure. And I'm like, I don't know how to lead. 
I don't know where to go. And so, God, would you give me sight beyond my ability to see? Would you give me wisdom beyond my experience so that I might know that what I'm doing now might not harm them but lead them to life? I need your wisdom, God. I don't know how to lead. So, God, would you give me your word and shape my mind and my heart so that I might love well and lead well and be wise in the way that I live? And we ask ourselves, how does God's word do that? How does God's word make us wise? I think one of the primary ways that when we get in God's word and we begin to read God's word, what it does is it takes you and I out of the center of the universe and rightly places God at the center of the universe. When we read the scriptures and we read of God's majesty and his grace and his glory, we all of a sudden, when we see how good God is, we see ourselves in comparison and say, you know what, I think maybe it's not all about me. Maybe the whole world doesn't exist for me. Maybe the world didn't start in in 1984 when you were born. Maybe there were pre-existed you. Maybe there's an eternal creator, an eternal God, a sovereign king who has a plan for eternity. And guess what? You and I, we're not the heroes of that story, but there is a hero that is better than us. And what that does is it frees us up to then find our place in God's story. It frees us up to then walk, not with the world looking at us, but fixing our eyes on him and helping others see how good he is. Man, there's wisdom in the word because it begins to show us who God is. It reveals to us how good God is and that, that we get to walk in wisdom. But I know not only that, if we continue reading in Psalm 19, we read this, that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, that they are to be more desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And we see not only does the word of God create life, not only does the word of God give us wisdom, but the word of God gives us joy, true and lasting joy. We're praying God for joy. We want our joy. And, and I wonder if, if in this deal, we, we kind of think, uh, we kind of think that we know better about our own joy than, than God does. And we think maybe God and church and the Bible and joy are mutually exclusive activities. That joy is really found over here in doing whatever it is we want to do in our career and in our life and in our, with our bodies and with what we look at. We think joy is found here. And, and we're going to go to church because, well, we're guilty and we feel like maybe we ought to. But that is an absolute misunderstanding of God's grace in the gospel. See, I want to, go, I want to tell you good news today. That God is for your joy. He's for your joy, maybe even more than you're for your joy. God is for your joy. And you say, how do you know that? Because Jesus says it. John chapter 15, verse 11, he gets his crew together. He gets his disciples together and he talks to them. And he says this, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy, joy may be full. So he gets his guys together. He says, I'm going to speak words to you. I'm going to give you the words of God. And those things are going to increase your joy. And your joy is going to be full when God speaks. See, when God speaks, things change. And there's true and lasting joy. And God wants your joy. But he also knows where your joy is ultimately found. And that's what we saw saw Jesus say. That my joy may be in you. And that's going to be the fullness of your joy. Psalm 16 says it like this, in God's presence there is fullness of joy. And I love the way David says this 
He says that the word of God is to be more desired than much fine gold, to be more desired than the sweetest honey of the honeycomb. Essentially, what what David is saying is this. He's saying if you have the option between God's word and gold, choose God's word. If you have the option between the word of God and much gold, choose the word of God. If you have the option between the word of God and much fine gold, choose the word of God. Why? Because there are things that are available for free to you through God's spirit, through God's grace, that you cannot buy with all the much fine gold you could possibly accumulate. You could spend your life trying to accumulate more and more and more and still find yourself restless and anxious and broken. But there is in the word of God fulfillment and life and wisdom and joy. So he says it's to be more desired than all the gold you could possibly accumulate. But not only that, it's to be more desired than the sweetest honey that you could eat. Now, my boys don't like honey. I love honey, especially local honey. Uh, But my boys don't like honey, so I read a verse like that to them, and they're like, that's gross. That's like saying you should love the word more than sardines. They're like, yeah, that means nothing to me. And so I want you to put put in your mindset, what is the greatest food you could possibly imagine in Austin? We are a foodie culture. Uh, You could go to any part, uh, any neighborhood in town and find an incredible cuisine. And so what is it for you? Is it uh, sizzling fajitas? Is it the, the perfect steak cooked to your liking? Is it the, uh, the gluten-free bakery on the corner or the vegan place uh, that you love to go to or whatever that is? For me, it's my wife's apple pie. Like, what is it that, that you begin to salivate when you think about that thing? And I want you to think about that appetite that you have for that. What is that for you? And, and that's what David is getting at here. He's saying, whatever that appetite is for you, have an appetite for the word of God more. Why? Because this fulfills you more than that thing. That you savor this more than you savor that great food. Why? Because this is actually lasting. And this changes us because there is joy in that. And that what we do, because I follow some of you on Facebook, is we'll go online and we'll have a great meal and then we'll take pictures of it to show all our friends the food that we just ate because we want to celebrate how great that food was. And we want to make everybody feel jealous that they're eating ramen in the dorm room and we're out at the steakhouse like, boom. Uh, And so we we take pictures and show people our food. Why? Because we want to celebrate that. There's joy when we eat. We want to celebrate this to an even greater degree because there is more joy and fulfillment to be found here than in anything you could possibly eat. And the sweetest cuisine you could possibly imagine is to be more desired than even that. And I love this. Uh, that, that maybe you noticed this, but what David is saying here is the laws and the rules and the commandments are to be greaterly, greater desired than the money and the food. The commandments and rules and ordinances. Now, when you think commandments, rules, and ordinances, you probably don't think joy. Sure, rules equal joy. We don't think that way. We think rules means that it's taking our joy away. But what's happening here is David is saying, God, even your rules, even your commands, they are like me winning the lottery. Any word that you speak, God, I want to grab onto, I want to hold onto because it is for me life and wisdom and joy. So that's what David is doing here. And you say, okay, well, what do I do that? I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. Probably not shocking to any of you to say, hey, you need to read the Bible. You're like, oh, I didn't. I didn't know that was part of the deal. Okay, I'm going to go do that. No, you know that you're supposed to do that, but, but yet we don't. 
So here's just a couple real practical ways for you to start this new year as you, as you kind of get into the groove. There's a lot of free online tools, including the one that we talked about already this morning. If you go to austinstone.org slash reap, you'll find a daily reading plan right there. Reap uh, is read, examine, apply, pray. And so you can go right there online for free and you'll have a daily reading plan. Did you know this? So I did the math on this um, for those math types out there. Uh, there are, the, the average person reads about 200 to 250 words a minute, some faster, some slower. There's about 775,000 words in the Bible. So if you do that math, it comes out to less than 10 minutes a day. If you spend 10 minutes a day reading the Bible, you'll be through the entire thing in a year. You say, okay, well, that's, that's not bad. Nine minutes a day, I can do that. Some of y'all are like, man, not much of a reader. Uh, nine minutes sounds like a lot to look at words. Okay, well, do you drive? Maybe you drive. The average Austinite drives a morning commute 26 minutes. So if you were to go and get, you can get a free online uh, download of an audio Bible. You can put it in your car, on your MP3 player, on your phone, and you can actually listen to the Bible. The average uh, audio Bible is about 75 hours. So if you take that out by your morning commute, it's about 12 minutes every day. So you can spend 12 minutes, half of, less than half of your commute, you can spend reading the, uh, listening to the Word, and you'll have done it in a whole year, and you'll be a better driver and stop cutting me off. So please go download the Bible. Uh, stop listening to the morning show. Uh, it, so that's a simple way to be in the Word, 12 minutes a day, 9 minutes a day. But, but we look at this and we say, you know what, I, I really don't think this is a, uh, a know-how issue for us. I don't think it's like, oh, we just don't know how to get in the Word. I think it's a want-to issue for us. There's something in our hearts that just say, man, I, I really value that. And, and we'll be about it for a while and then we'll just kind of forget it. And life comes in and busyness happens and we forget. Until tragedy strikes and we jump back in. But my hope for us is that we would have a heart change and that God would change our hearts in this. And ultimately, the thing I think that's going to change my heart and our hearts in actually being a people who don't just respect the Bible, but read the Bible, aren't just people who read the Bible, but live the Bible, when we begin to understand that it's not about knowing the Bible, but knowing the author of the Bible. It's not about just simply understanding these words, but it's, it's more about worshiping the one who wrote the words. You see, because the word tells us that Jesus is the word incarnate. He is the perfect understanding of what the word is. If we were to somehow blow on this and the words were to fly into the sky and then sort of coagulate into a human, it would be Jesus. He is the perfect representation. He is the word of God. He's the only one that's actually perfectly kept the laws and the commandments and the rules. And here's the joy of this. Here's the gospel seen in this, is that his reward for keeping the laws perfectly become our reward, and our punishment for not keeping the laws perfectly become his punishment on the cross. And so that's why verses 13 and 14 actually are applied to us. It says this, David is saying, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And David is asking, O redeemer, would you make me acceptable to you? Redeemer, would you make me blameless and innocent? Would you no longer let sin have dominion over me? 
And here's the good news for us that should drive us with joy to God's word is we don't read the Bible in order to make, make God proud of us. We read the Bible because God has loved us deeply. He is the redeemer. And because of Christ, we, have, we are blameless. Because of Christ, we are innocent. Because of Christ, sin does not have dominion over us. These words are true of us, that we are acceptable to God because of Christ. And so we don't read the Bible in a legalistic sense because we know we ought to. We read the Bible because we want to know more about the Jesus, this Redeemer, this Savior who has loved us and accepted us. And because of him, we have life eternal and life to the full. And we have uh, freedom from our sins and that sin no longer is our master, but we get to know the one that is. He's our Redeemer. And that's our joy in coming to the word of God to say, God, I want to know you more. I want to walk in wisdom. I don't know how to lead my family. Would you give me wisdom, God? You have insights. God, I don't know how to, to walk through this season of life. Uh, I feel so downcast. I feel so heavy. I feel so worthless. I feel so restless. God, I need your joy. Would you change my heart? And he begins to do that through his word. And so, so church, I want to be a church. I want to be a, a follower of Jesus. I want us to be followers of Jesus that... And we, we don't just respect God's word, but we love the author. We want to pursue him with a passion. So, so let's be that church. Let's be those people that love the word of God because we love the one who wrote the word of God. And we believe that in it there is life and in it there is wisdom and in it there is joy. And let this year be marked by those things. Not with getting organized or losing weight. All those things are great. Let's this year, let's 2014 be marked with life and wisdom and joy that comes by the word of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful that you have chosen to communicate with us. You didn't have to, but you did. You spoke and things change. So God, make us a people who long to be changed more into the image of Christ. Make us a people who want to follow you after and read your word and know you through it. So Lord, would you be so kind as to lead us in that? And where we are doing our own thing, Lord, we pray that you would come and redeem. And for those here today, God, and then they read the word, the word of God revives their soul and they say, Lord, I feel dead apart from you. Would you come and give them life through your, through your grace as you spark faith in them? For those of us who need wisdom and don't know what to do, God, would your word provide that? And for those of us who are downcast, Lord, would you bring the joy that lasts that only you can provide so that we might honor you and sing more fully and live more faithfully unto you. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen.